What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. And I just I felt like we had this great story that didn't have a beginning or an end. And then I was on the bus back to the media hotel, and I just turned to her and I said, what if we started with the urn? Welcome to episode 26 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein. This podcast is being brought to you by Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts, where you can use the code BLUEWIRE to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Before we get to our guest tonight, Greg Bishop from Sports Illustrated, Just a couple of thoughts on the Lions signing of offensive lineman Joshua Garnett. Garnett was out of football last year, and the former first-round pick has dealt with injuries essentially his entire career since leaving Stanford after the 2015 season. But the talent? It's there. He was the Outland Trophy winner in 2015, and he was a first-round pick for a reason. He has an NFL pedigree. His dad, Scott Garnett, played in the league. And he has good size. When he was coming out of school, he was praised for his hand placement, his strength, and his ability to strike defenders well. There were concerns about his athleticism, though, and those seem to at least be somewhat realistic. Obviously, now the injuries are an issue, and that'll be something to monitor. While I haven't seen his contract as of Tuesday night, My guess would be it is not a massive one with probably very little guaranteed, if anything guaranteed. So this is a move that takes on very little risk for the Lions. If Daryl Bevel and Hank Fraley can unlock what teams saw in Garnett a few years ago during the draft process, it could be a steal. If not, eh, it was at least worth a shot at a position where Graham Glasgow, Kenny Wiggins, and Ode Abouche are all free agents, and Bo Benchamal is an undrafted free agent from last year who has potential but no production to speak of. In other words, you take the chance. If the talent remains, great. If not, no harm, no foul. He has an interesting link to the Lions, too. He missed all of 2017 with a knee injury when he was with San Francisco, forcing them to scramble for an offensive guard to replace him. At the time, the Lions had a then-underachieving Lakin Tomlinson at guard, himself a first-round pick who wasn't panning out. So in the preseason, general manager Bob Quinn traded Tomlinson to San Francisco for a 2019 fifth-round pick. By the way, that 2019 fifth-round pick was never used by Detroit to take anyone, It was instead flipped to the Giants so the Lions could trade for Snacks Harrison. Ended up being a really good deal for Detroit. Tomlinson, of course, became a starter in San Francisco and a key piece to the Niners' run to the Super Bowl this year. And now one of the reasons San Francisco had a need in the first place is coming to Detroit. It's kind of funny how the NFL world works. 
We'll be back right after this break with our guest tonight, Sports Illustrated senior writer, Greg Bishop. We're taking a quick break to tell you all about our new sponsor, Bet Online. So, you missed a chance to bet on the Chiefs and the 49ers on Sunday. You watched the game and shuddered, thinking, Oh man, I could have been a big winner if only I'd made that one move. Well, fear not. Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big no matter the time of year. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Baseball opening day right around the corner, Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. That's free. Plus, it's never too early to put in a futures bet for the Super Bowl in 2021. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's super easy, and if you're already making wagers, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline, your online sports experts. Now, back to our show. My guest tonight is one of the top football writers in the country, and every year he writes the Sports Illustrated story on the Super Bowl champion, this year the Kansas City Chiefs. He's gone from Tacoma to Syracuse to Seattle to New York and then back to Seattle again with some of the better tales this decade to show for it. Greg Bishop, welcome to the Michael Rothstein Show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, kind of feel like I have to at some point. Uh, so let's start here. Have you slept much since Sunday? And I ask that because writing this post-Super Bowl story like you did, this year you did it with Jenny Brentis. It's thousands of words essentially do eight or so after the eight or so hours after the game ends. So like, when do you sleep? What's that process for you? Like after you file? Yeah, this, this year we, uh, we started writing about one o'clock. We filed about eight o'clock. We did edit. This was unusual. They wanted to get it online a little bit earlier. And so we did edits for the piece, uh, around 10 30 or 11. And then we got the magazine edits around one or two. So I was actually up until three 30 yesterday afternoon uh, it's a little harder to do at 40 than it was at 34 and yeah i slept uh three to five yesterday and then not till last night wow that's that's pretty that, like you, how long does it take your body clock to come back from that uh, a few days for sure yeah i mean it, easily it'll take a little while to recover it, it uh it was a lot easier five years ago than it is now <laughs> so walk for people who don't understand it walk, walk me through the process for you from say the fourth quarter of and i know there's a lot that goes into it before and we'll get into that but from the fourth quarter of say this game to when you file and you walk you, you explained some of it but what's that process yeah so going into the game we probably have between 20 and 40 different files with reporting on different players or coaches uh the team's histories uh could be anything under the sun and you know, essentially in the fourth quarter, we're trying to figure out what we want to get post game. Uh, this time, I followed Pat Mahomes as much as I could. My colleague Jenny Brentis, she followed Andy Reid as much as she could. 
And then by the time we got to the stadium, it's roughly, you know, 1230, 12 o'clock. Uh, then you go back to the hotel and then you start the writing process. So, yeah, over, overall, the, uh, the last, like, 24 hours are probably the toughest because it's the game. It takes forever for it to get there. Uh, it's a long time until the Super Bowl actually kicks off. Then the game itself, uh, you know, was pretty interesting. So you have to, you have to address that in the story. And then on top of all of that, uh, then you got to sit down and write. So you, we usually go into the writing part with, you know, maybe ten to 15,000 words pre-written. We use some of that. We write some new stuff. And uh, and then you wake up and it's the morning. <laughs> so actually, since you just hit on it, obviously, with the game being interesting, you have to work some of that in there. When we were growing up, every Super Bowl was like a blowout. Like, is it almost better to have a blowout for you than it is for it to be what it was really the last few years, whether it's Atlanta, New England, Philadelphia, New England, or Kansas City, San Francisco? Yeah, that's a really good point because, uh, you know, we have so much reporting that dates back, you know, 10 years or five years or however long. If it's Andy Reid, it goes back a lot further. If it's, you know, Patrick Mahomes, it's a few years and how he's done. And, you know, the worse the game is, the less we have to, like, kind of dive into new stuff. So, you know, I feel like I've I've done six of these and most of the games have been good. It feels like the Super Bowl in particular has been that way for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years or so. And it's kind of weird because, like you said, I'm used to, like, growing up, you know, 49ers, 55, Broncos, 10. We had a lot of games like that where it would kind of be over. And one of those would be nice one of these years, but I won't complain. That game was pretty interesting the other night. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. At what point do you start mentally saying, okay, I'm maybe going to be writing a San Francisco story considering what was going on in the first half? Do you get to that point, or do you kind of legitimately wait until midway through the fourth? Well, that that was what was really interesting about this last one because usually I go into the game and I have better material on one team or the other. So I usually want to write, say, the Broncos or, you know, when, when it was Eagles-Patriots, I really had better Patriots material. This year I thought I was kind of equal going in, and yet when San Francisco jumped ahead and it looked like they were for sure going to win the game, you know, basically I, I actually felt in my heart like a little bit sad that some of the things we would, we would be able to report and write about the Chiefs would never see the light of day. You know, I thought we had some pretty new stuff on Andy Reid, on the Jolon Belcher tragedy, and on Patrick Mahomes. And I guess at that moment, I sort of knew internally that I really would rather write Chiefs. You know, you can kind of feel it inside because you're thinking, you know, essentially, like, I would rather have this other material. But, you know, the 49ers were really helpful this year in terms of doing the story. Uh, I think I pre-wrote 12 sections on them. I, I talked to everyone from Jed York to... Kyle Shanahan to John Lynch to Jimmy Garoppolo on down. And, uh, you know, I think you'll see a lot of 49ers stories in the next few months in Sports Illustrated. That, that's kind of how it went. But, uh, you know, I try to keep an open mind. I, I definitely thought for a large portion of the second half that it looked like it was going to be 49ers for sure. And, uh, you know, obviously things changed dramatically there at the end. So you, you kind of answered it a little bit of like having equal amounts on each team this year. But – do you have to maybe are there have there been times where you have to do a little bit more digging post game or if you have to do that are you kind of in real trouble? Well, I think the the key is just to be as targeted as you can with it because, you know, post game after a Super Bowl there's like, you know, thousands of reporters and everyone's running around, it's very very crowded. So, I try to be as targeted as I can. But yeah, the, the years you have to do the most are like 
when New England won in overtime, you know, then you got to address, you know, how did they make this huge comeback? What were sort of the staples of it? Uh, how did it come together? And, you know, you, you know, you're going to be writing a lot about the game, you know, because, you know, here was this 28 to three lead and here it evaporated and this is how they came back. But, you know, the ones that are easier are like Broncos Panthers, you know, that was not a bad one on the year that I did it because, you know, it's kind of a boring game. You have a few good moments and, you know, to me yesterday was sort of like that in that like the game was great, but it was sort of delineated. You know, you had the chief start, you had the San Francisco taking the lead and really looking like they were going to win the thing. And then you had this great comeback. And so for this story in particular, we ended up focusing mostly on the comeback because it tied to Patrick and it tied to Andy winning. And, you know, basically the first, you know, three and a half quarters didn't mean as much to the game as the last six minutes did. So the detail I really loved the most in this story this year was the wooden urn, what kind of that symbolized. And it really felt like it was somewhat thematic through the entire piece. How did you and Jenny find that? Because I don't think that's anything anyone else had from anything I read anywhere else. Maybe I'm wrong. And like, do you kind of at some point say, if Kansas City wins, this is where I'm starting? Yeah, it was definitely clean. Uh, it, it's actually a kind of a funny story how it came to be. Uh, Tim Rohan, a friend of ours, and one of my former colleagues, he had done a story last year on Andy Reid when he was in the punt, pass, and kick competition as a 13-year-old. And people might have seen that. Reid looks like he's 47 years old when he's in this competition. And all the other 12-year-olds, they look like 12-year-olds. And he, you know, he did kind of a story on like that part of Reid's life and what it meant and his friends. And I asked him just in the course of reporting the story if any of those guys would want to talk to me about Andy being close to winning the Super Bowl again because they all grew up together in Los Angeles. So he had about 15 or 16 numbers that he sent to me. And I said, I, you know, I don't want to call that many people. Can you just tell me, like, the three best talkers, you know, in terms of, like, who you like talking to for the story? And the first name he sent back to me was Tony Stewart, which is actually the guy that, you know, that they did the earn for. And I texted him to talk him you know specifically for the story based on the number that tim gave me and his widow actually responded to me so that's how the whole thing started she said that he had died unexpectedly in september and she suggested i talk to this guy mark labanche who was like another one of their close friends he works in hollywood as a camera operator and because i was able to hook up with him through monica the widow you know he told me the whole story of how they had planted the tree for andy Reid's son who had died of an accidental drug overdose, you know, uh, in 2012, how they had like bought Reed for years to come out and see the tree. They'd hung Garrett's initials on there. They had hung, uh, you know, they'd come by and pick the weeds. They had, they had really cultivated this tree. I mean, he finally had in, in, uh, <clears throat> 2018. And that was the last time the whole group was all together. And so it definitely felt interesting in the moment because I knew that, you know, this wasn't out there and I knew that, we had something that was that was pretty different than what other people would be writing. And the narrative for the game was all about Andy Reid. Can he win the big one? You know, is this the, the, finally the year? Would he have another sort of big game loss? And, you know, it, it was just interesting to have something completely new and sit on it that long. You know, we talked about running it online. We talked about, um, you know, maybe using some of the material in an Andy Reid piece in the off season. And ultimately, when I was finishing the game, I really wondered what we would do for the top. I was a little bit concerned, actually. We didn't have much access to Mahomes or Reed postgame. And I just I felt like we had this great story that didn't have a beginning or an end. And then I was on the bus back to the media hotel, 
kind of freaking out, if I'm being honest. Uh, Jenny, Brentis, and I were both sitting there trying to figure out kind of the order of the story, knowing we had about seven hours left to file about 5,500 words. And I just turned to her and I said, what if we started with the urn? And she was like, I love that idea. <laughs> and so <laughs> while, we're at, while we're in traffic on the bus back to the hotel, I just like dashed out the lead that basically you saw in the cover story. And it was one of those rare instances where it worked out perfect because, you know, the leap just worked in and of itself. And we were able to have something that was different and new. You know, the other option I think we considered was like starting the post game, you know, in the locker room when they won, kind of what that looked like, what it sounded like and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately I, I, I think that it's always best to go with the newest material you have and, just kind of got to make it work and so we were fortunate one that i was able to get the phone number fortunate two that the widow was the one who responded uh fortunate three that like they were able to tell me last night what that scene was like in terms of being at a party having the tv and the urn next together and just seeing like this juxtaposition of this amazing thing that's happening for their friend andy and at the same time this like terrible loss they suffered in september and they, the whole group decided they want to win one for Tony Stewart. And then Andy went out and did it. So, all right, just to be clear, to go back for a second. So you wrote that lead on the bus? Yeah. So it was like maybe 1230 and we were kind of panicked. And we were like, I thought I was going to get yesterday to follow Mahomes through his post game. That was what the Chiefs had kind of told me. And we have to work always to kind of be able to lock down that kind of access. And it's just always fluid and never even. And so it became pretty clear early in the postgame that they weren't going to really help me. And so then you got like kind of a standard lead of like, it could just be from the locker room and what it looked like, or it could be at the end when Andy's finally winning a Super Bowl. And all those things would have been fine and the story probably wouldn't have been that much different. But to be able to do something totally new and unique, like we were able to ask Andy about Tony Stewart. I don't think anybody else even really knew that all this was going on. And I just like, the idea was to tie it to Andy's life, which is that, you know, he's lived this, he's lived through a lot of stuff, right? Like he lost his son, he lost big games. And here was the moment that like everything came together. And yet he still had these other people he was really coaching for. And so this idea that he needed to win a Super Bowl to sort of fulfill, you know, to sort of fulfill like a legacy or to become one of the greatest coaches of all time, like that's really not what he was coaching for. And so the story ultimately becomes, here's what he's really coaching for. And here's how he got, to that point where he could deliver for Tony Stewart, for everybody else, for his kid, you know, all that kind of stuff. When you have that and when you get it, like you said, you were sitting on it for a while. When do you get that, first of all? And, and secondly, like, what's, does that like eat at you and gnaw at you of like, I hope he doesn't randomly say something about this in the post game and then I'm blown, like my whole thing is blown up. Like, do you kind of like sit in every post game and wonder about that? Like what, What's that feeling like? Because I think we've yeah, all I had those every, things. Yeah, I think every year it's the same. It feels the same way because we start gathering this stuff like two weeks ago. You know, you really get started on the story, you know, the week after the divisional round of the playoffs. And so this year I went to San Francisco, for instance. They were very gracious and helpful. They set me up with my own office in their facility and they just brought players and coaches there to talk to me. And you just have all this information, but you know some of it's going to come out. I mean, this is an event that's covered by. 2000 writers or whatever and you know the things are going to come out so when you get something clean like i think in our story we had scott Pioli talking about jovan belcher's murder suicide 
in detail, in the kind of detail that I don't think he's really ever talked about it. So I'm worried, is somebody else going to call Pioli? Are they going to put that out there? I knew the Reed thing was clean, but I knew people would be poking around his background. So you kind of worry, too. I, I don't usually tell people not to talk to me. I didn't, in this instance, say uh, not to share that story anywhere else. You're more just sitting there nervous, kind of worried, and just hopeful that, like, ultimately it'll, it'll be something new and different. And, you know, when it comes through clean the way it did, you know, we had we had, we had new stuff on Mahomes. We had new stuff on Reed. We had new stuff on Pioli and the Belcher thing. Like, uh, at that moment, it feels a little bit lucky, you know, because <laughs> – at any point in time, somebody could have stumbled across the exact same thing. So, I mean, like you were talking about earlier, San Francisco gave you a ton of access. What do you end up doing with that stuff? And I know, I mean, we go back a long ways. I know that you've had Kansas City stuff, and I think it was last year that you're like, I have all this stuff. And does it just kind of go into a file for maybe another day or just say, well, I'm never going to use that? Like, how do, how do you approach that? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I try to use it all. You know, I even used a quote in the cover story this year that I got last year from Carl Peterson, just talking about the impact of Lamar Hunt and how, like, he, you know, he thinks he has more impact on the uh, NFL and football in America than any owner alive. And, you know, you could obviously debate that. But, uh, you know, that was something I got from him when we had breakfast in, like, 2018. And so uh, I thought that those kind of things I just always keep. It, it, it's been bad and good to have the Patriots in the game for the six years that I've done it because, you know, I have a ton of Patriots reporting every year, and especially a lot on Brady, Kraft, and Belichick. And it's nice to be able to draw from that when you kind of need to, but you also start running out of people that you can call. So it's always kind of a tricky balance, much better when the teams cooperate. This year, San Francisco was the best I've ever had, to be honest with you, but the story. And the Chiefs weren't bad either. They got us the general manager. They got us Andy. I did a piece on Mahomes in December that I used some information from our interview in the cover story, and it, it all lined up nice. It was the first time in five years that I went to dinner the night before the game with a bunch of writers because usually I'm working. And so we were ahead of schedule and everything worked out good. You, you said in the past that the Super Bowl story is your favorite thing to do. I mean, I think I know the answer, but why is that? You know, to me, it's just like a really big challenge, you know. Here's a game where, like, it, it's probably the most overanalyzed game on earth, you know. It, it is – it's just really hard to go to the Super Bowl and tell somebody something they don't know, especially if it's about, say, Andy Reid, who was, you know, how many people wrote columns about him this week? Maybe 500, maybe 800. And to be able to tell people something today after the game, after people have been poking around for the better part of a month, and to be able to tell – somebody something they absolutely didn't know like that's one of the hardest things we're able to do and to be able to do it every year or do it some years or however many years we've been able to do it well uh i like the challenge in that and i think it's something that like every every year i say it's like my favorite story my least favorite week <laughs> you know because we i think this week i slept like you know 14 hours before the night before the game and you're just working all the time you, we do probably 100 interviews we have my transcribers just alone, the tape that they did was about 215 pages. And, you know, Jenny and I do our own tape. We do our own notes. We do all the organization. And so, you know, the goal with the San Francisco material would be to, you know, I might write Jimmy G this offseason. We could write Bosa. I could write Sherman. I could write Mostert. I could write Kyle and John. And the interesting thing about those stories is, each one is different based on how the game went, you know, for Nick Bosa, it could be 
this was really his sort of entrance. I'm like, he's going to be defensive player of the year pretty soon. You know, like that was, I think at 12 pressures last night. That's, that's crazy. And so, you know, for Kyle, it's like this brilliant coach that's had success everywhere he's gone. And yet now it's had really two significant mistakes in the Super Bowl. And, you know, I just think that that's, that's kind of fun to be able to pull all that stuff in the spring or the summer. And, you know, I try not to leave any meat on the bone, as it were. I, I prefer to write all these guys if I can, but that will depend a little on what the 49ers want to do. So I'm curious because obviously you're a national, you're a national reporter. You don't get to Detroit much at all, if, if ever, other than when you get stuck on layovers close to Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> but you, you talk to people around the league. What's the sense to the Lions as, or, as an organization, you think, league-wide? As, I mean, obviously, they've never been to Super Bowls. You've never, they've never really even been to the playoffs when you've done this, so you haven't had to do this type of reporting on them before. Well, I think the biggest Lions story in the last few years was the slouching one. So uh, I don't know how that one came to be. Uh, you know what's funny today? Uh, I got a... One of the things I wrote about in the Chiefs cover story was about their history and how it might be tortured and how they've lost a bunch of playoff games in very close, kind of strange ways. You know, they lost a playoff game when nobody punted. They lost on some weird kicks. And I got a lot of response from Lions fans, more, much more than I expected, you know. And it basically was, you know, how can you call this team tortured? Like, look at how many years we've even been in the playoffs. Look at how close we've ever been to the Super Bowl. I think that there's a real sense to the, you know, that that's a sad, sad state of existence to be a Lions fan, to want to win every year and to cycle through as many coaches, coordinators, quarterbacks, et cetera, as they've had. You know, I, I'm a big Stafford fan. I love the way he plays. And it's just kind of interesting every year to see that they're kind of always outside of the mix. And so I think the biggest perception about them would be that, that, you know, that, that's a team that, like, if they want, it would be a good Super Bowl cover to write because there's a lot of history there and most of it's not great. It's interesting you mentioned that about torture fan bases because you grew up in Seattle as well. And really, when you were growing up, they were somewhat Lions-like. They didn't make the playoffs for, what, a decade? Close to it. Long stretches of mediocrity, little playoff success. A lot of people don't remember that now. But then they lose the Super Bowl in 05. And under Pete Carroll, they've been really good. What was it like in Seattle when the team even made the Super Bowl? Because I always try to picture what a Lions team making the Super Bowl would be like in Detroit, and I feel like that was probably similar maybe when they made it with Holmgren in 05. Yeah, for sure. And people forget just how bad they were, you know. This was a team that hadn't won it forever, that perpetually was up against the Broncos back when they were in the AFC West or the Chiefs or the Raiders. And, you know, I, I think what happened in Seattle is you have really sort of a new money fan base, like the 12s are very happy with themselves. They think they're very loud. They love the, their sort of impact on the game. And, you know, when I was living in Seattle, I covered the, the first Super Bowl I ever covered was the, the one they played against the Steelers. And nobody was asking me for tickets. Most of my family members weren't fans of the Seahawks. And, you know, that's changed dramatically in the last 10 years. You know, since Carroll came on, since they've had the Super Bowl appearances, since Russell Wilson became their quarterback, they have really you know, people are into it. Every single person in my family is like now, quote unquote, a huge fan. Uh, you know, most of my friends root for the Seahawks. Uh, you know, every game sells out. The tickets are not inexpensive. And, you know, they do have a real home field advantage with the crowd. So, you know, that can be kind of an interesting mixture to me. Like the Seahawks fans are very sensitive, but they're very passionate. They love their team. 
and I've written stories on them that are positive and negative, and you get a lot of response either way for sure. I got a question on Twitter from, uh, well, the person you're having dinner with <laughs> um, and your old former college roommate, PK, who, whose wife, Nicole, wants to know, do you think that this is the beginning of a new dynasty for Kansas City, and what do you think it would take to unseat them? That's a great question, actually. Uh, I do think that these, I think that both these teams are going to be in the mix for years. Um, I think the Chiefs are well-built. I think the 49ers have a more balanced team, a deeper team. I like them deep in the playoffs the next couple of years. Uh, I think they'll have a chance to win a Super Bowl again pretty soon. But I think the differentiator here is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that's basically been the story of the season. It's been the story of the past two seasons. It's, it was the story of the playoffs with the comeback and the run. It's been the Super Bowl. I just think he's such a difference maker. He played maybe the worst three quarters of football he'd played in his entire NFL career in the Super Bowl. And maybe all they did was score three touchdowns in six minutes to win the game. I mean, I think that they have the makings to be like the Patriots. We'll see how long Andy Reid can coach. We'll see if Patrick Mahomes can stay healthy. We'll see, uh, you know, worthy challengers. We'll, you know, Baltimore to me is is going to be a force for a while. Uh, Tennessee to me could be pretty interesting for a couple of years. I think what we're seeing that's cool is it's sort of a new era, and I think it will focus around if he can stay healthy, Patrick Mahomes. I just have two more questions for you. The first one would be this, which is, you know, you and I have talked for years about how you always seem to end up writing tragedy and death more than you probably would like. Um, what is it about Fair. that? What is it about it that draws you in? And with this story specifically, like you said, between Javon Belcher and, and everything Andy Reid's gone through, do you feel like almost so much of what you've done kind of almost prepared you to write like you said, that lead on the bus where you're not even necessarily like worried about it. It just happens. Yeah. You know, I, th I think I'm drawn to those kind of stories because they present character development, uh, tension, you know, people have lived through things, have a, like an interesting perspective. They tend to think a little bit differently. They tend to, you know, be able to articulate what they've lived through because they've had to process it. What's interesting is those worlds colliding, as you mentioned, you know, here's a, I write a lot of stories about mental health. You know, I've done a lot of stories about death. And the Super Bowl cover is sort of supposed to be a celebration story. You know, this is a great team. This is the great season they had. And this is how they put it together. And, you know, to do a Super Bowl cover story that was also largely about death and loss and fathers and sons and the way you move forward when you don't think you can, uh, that was a little bit different. I think it helped the story because it adds tension to it. It's not just a these guys are good and this is why they're good kind of piece. Uh, but yeah, those kind of stories are always harder to tell because you're trying to be sensitive to people's lives, to what they've gone through, to how they look at it in the context of their accomplishments. And I think that sort of tension when you're writing, like thinking about it, deciding whether you want to, how deep you want to dive into it. And we go really deep in the Super Bowl cover. Like to me, those are more meaningful and more fulfilling because they tell us more about somebody than, this guy's good at football. Like Andy Reid's a, a really fascinating man. You know, he's lived through more than any coach that I, I can remember. And he's come out of it in ways that I think have informed how he builds his team, how he shapes Mahomes, how if that team becomes a dynasty, like how his whole life pointed him to the end of his career at this sort of moment. And I think that's really cool. I think people can take something from that for sure. I, I lied, actually. I have one other question besides the last question I want to ask you, and it kind of dovetails off that. 
the story that's impacted you the most? I think I know the answer, but most of my listeners won't. What is that? And what did that change about you? Because you talk so much about mental health and, and that you write a lot about it now. Yeah, definitely the Holinsky family. I've written about them four or five times. You know, their son, Tyler, committed suicide in January of uh, 2018 at Washington State. He was going to be the starting quarterback the next year. And, I, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, being able to spend time with them and see not only how they've tried to process this tragedy, but how they've moved forward to raise money for mental health awareness with their foundation, Holinsky's Hope. Uh, you know, they've raised almost a half a million dollars, often like three or four dollars at a time in just a short time period, you know, to to be able to, like, spend time with them and talk to them about what they're going through and be able to put that out into the world. Uh, that's something I'm pretty grateful for. You know, their mission is to show people that, you know, like Tyler, that we're struggling, that there are resources and help and things that they can do and that they're not alone. And I just really respect that. And, you know, it's hard to kind of go from that to writing the Super Bowl cover. I'd rather write about them any day for sure. And lastly, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give to a young journalist who, you know, you and I were at Syracuse sitting in the Daily Orange offices 20 years ago, and you know, now we're old, but like, what would, looking back, what would be the one piece of advice that maybe you wish you got or that you'd give to someone? Yeah, I think to me, writing, what we do is mostly about reps. You know, you need to read, you need to write. You know, I would have been more intentional about my process. I would have learned how to do narrative arc and character development and structure and all the things they really don't teach you in journalism school. But I talked to a lot of young writers today and they just, they don't want to write for cheap. You know, I wrote for the, the big orange, the daily orange of state football weekly, like any place that would take a story I could write for 25 bucks. And, you know, the biggest thing in our business is just knowing what a good story looks like and then trying to translate that to your own work, then having the material to give it a shot. And, you won't get to any of that without reps. So I always just tell them, they read and write, read and write, read and write. It's the same thing I tell my two-year-old, but it's really the best, the best thing that you can do, for sure. I can only imagine what, what Blake's reps look like right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Greg, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I know that you probably need a bunch of sleep, and uh, I appreciate you taking some time. Man. No worries, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks to my guest, Greg Bishop. You can read him at Sports Illustrated and follow him on Twitter at Greg Bishop SI. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein and on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. We also have a new Facebook group called The Michael Rothstein Show, which you can follow and I'll post all of the shows there along with some extra stuff along the way. Thanks as always to Regents Field and Blue Wire for hosting this podcast and to Bet Online for sponsoring this episode. This episode was produced by Stephen Arcanal and David Woodley. If you like what you hear, rate, review, subscribe, all of that stuff on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Tell us who you'd like to hear from in the future as well. We'll chat with you again on Monday. <laughs>